0: This is John Gescheidmeyer of Wisconsin Real Estate Today, your real estate expert. This podcast is designed to equipping people with the teaching and tools they need to succeed in real estate. I hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more real estate content. Tell it to the judge. That is the topic of today's podcast. I'm your host, John Gescheidmeyer, and welcome to another edition of Wisconsin Real Estate Today. This series of podcasts is designed at protecting you, our client or maybe not our client. And I can't think of a more important topic when it comes to real estate than disclosure. In a future podcast, I will be joined by an attorney who is also becoming one of our agents, and she will she and I will dive deep into some of the things that get people in trouble. That'll be a very interesting top ca- uh, podcast. But today's topic is truly designed to give you the tools, the knowledge, whatever you wanna call it, um, about disclosure. And and it's mainly gonna be for listing a home, but we'll also tie it into a buyer transaction. Disclosure applies to just about everything that we do. As realtors, we subscribe to to a code of ethics, not only from the National Association of Realtors, but it's adopted by our local realtor boards in the metro Milwaukee area, the one that I belong to is the Greater Milwaukee Association of Realtors. But there also are things that I'm bound to by state law through the Department of Safety and and Professional Services. So you as the public are protected against somebody like me doing something maybe rogue or, you know, maybe completely negligent too if that would ever happen. I want to talk about As a lister, as a seller, what is expected of you and some of the considerations that you have to make? So let's say, let's just create a scenario that you want to sell your house and you call me and we meet and we go over a lot of things. Ultimately, we're trying to meet, we're trying to determine whether or not we can create a win-win relationship because it's all about that, right? Creating a win for you, a win for me, and ultimately a win potentially for the buyer that buys your home. My job is to protect you. Number one, that's my number one fiduciary responsibility to you. I have an obligation to make sure that you're looked after and your needs are met and as best as possible to foresee some of the challenges in the future. Now, no one, no one can predict the future. No one can predict how bad a transaction will be. But once I gain trust with a potential client, We start talking about the things potentially in your home that might be problematic. I have a very, very extensive knowledge base of all the transactions. I've I've personally brokered 500 transactions, um, roughly 500 transactions since 2011 when I received my license. Now that's a great pat on the back moment. I'm proud of those, proud of helping a lot of people, but I'm also proud of the fact that I've gained just an incredible amount of experience. And you got to keep in mind, not every agent does. Not every agent can say that. So you may want to use your cousin uh, during a real estate transaction, but what if you have to sue your cousin because they were negligent or they didn't keep you out of harm's way? Or maybe they didn't see things in a home that they should have. So let's talk a little bit about the realtor responsibility before we go into the seller responsibility. That's a little bit different than what I told you we were going to cover, but let's do that for just a second we have to observe the home and we have to make sure that if the walls are severely cracked there's moisture you know in the foundation walls potentially right nobody can see through those if there are issues that would be normally considered a defect in our contracts and a defect is defined by the way it's uh, and i don't have the language in front of me but it's essentially something that's very material it's it's of significance Something that would change the value, or the reputation, if you will, of the home. And it's my job to make sure that I just point out things that I think are problematic, potentially. So let's fast forward again to your listing appointment. I meet with you, we spend a, a quite a bit of time actually walking through the property, and I'm kind of performing a little bit of a home inspection, of course I don't, I'm not certified as a home inspector but I can point out things that might be an issue. Again, problematic. My job is to make sure that we know what's to come if we do go on the market as is. And I love that phrase, as is. Every home is sold as is in Wisconsin, if you think about it. Now, I can advertise that as being as is. I can make it you know, some, some very strong language and said, hey, look, Mr. Buyer, we're selling this home as is. We're not going to do anything, so don't bother asking us post-inspection for money, for credits, uh, for me to fix things. Now, as I go through and I point things out, I just leave it up to you. I just want to give you an idea of what I'm seeing that potentially another buyer will see. So one of the ideas that, especially my home inspector staff, if you will, uh, our partners, they will all recommend that you do a a pre-inspection. So there's different kinds of it. You can pay an inspector just for his time. You can walk through, point out things. You take all the notes. Or you can have uh, a full report. So they treat you just as if you were buying the house, and they inspect your house. Now, part of the cool part about that is that you get a report, you know exactly what's wrong. And if you walk out of that squeaky clean, you can post that on the kitchen table with all of your marketing materials, and you can give the buyer some assurance that you have already performed an inspection. Now, a buyer has to then decide, do I want to do an inspection on my own or should I just maybe trust that this guy knows what he's talking about? I always recommend that my clients do their own home inspection with some exceptions. If a home inspection was done very recently by an inspector that I know and trust, well, that would seem silly to hire the same guy to come back and do another inspection, right? So, and that has happened to multiple of my multiples of my clients in the past, but as I'm walking through your house, one of the things that we are looking for are the defects or the items that you can correct. Now, one of the things that always comes up during a walkthrough is codes, code violations, whether or not we got permits. Yes, folks, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it is your obligation under law to investigate the need for permits when you're doing anything in your home. Some communities, when you change a faucet, you have to get a permit. I'm not saying I agree with that, because I certainly don't. Um, I think there's a fine line between overkill and making things money-making opportunities for some municipalities. But like it or not, Governor Walker created a very, very good bill for homeowners, uh, eliminating the need for separate homeowner inspections by local inspectors from the, from the municipality. By that, I mean whether it could be the town, the village, uh, or the city, or in some cases, the county. Um, that, that's gone, and so that was a good law. It's, it is somewhat buyer beware, but it also is incumbent upon the seller to disclose. So as I walk through your house and we start pointing out different things, I may make suggestions. We, we may certainly talk about hiring experts to come in and give you opinions if I see some electrical things that are problematic. It could be really minor but I may give you the name of my electrician and I may have him or, or her if you hire an electrician, I may have them come in and uh, do those things before. Remember when you go to the market uh, the pro of going out of the market with a pre-inspection is now you know these issues and you can correct them before you hit the market. However, if you hire an inspector to come in and do a pre-inspection and you didn't know about all these things, well, guess what? Now you know. And we'll talk about disclosure. When you know something is wrong with your house, you have to disclose. That's the law. And it's really very black and white. Um, And it cannot, it doesn't have to be a home, right? It can be vacant land, it can be a commercial building, a multifamily unit, whatever it may be. When you know something is wrong, you have an obligation to disclose that. And we're going to go through the forms here not in line by line, but we're going to summarize those and we'll give you some examples. So I will make a lot of suggestions. We will talk about a marketing plan that also may, you know, we may have to delay the listing because there's things that we need to correct. That's okay. That's okay. I don't want to rush your home to the market. And and I know that there are a ton of realtors out there and if they're listening to this, they are not going to like me me saying this. But there are... I I, I mean, there's probably 70% of the agents out there that when they walk into your house, they want you to sign immediately. And they want you to get you, even in what's called an excluded status, something I don't agree with in our MLS. That's another podcast. But I want them, I want you to make an informed decision. To me, a handshake is a handshake, right? And when we decide we're going to work together, then I put the wheels in motion 100%. So what does that look like then? Well, we set you up with contractors. We get you to people that I know and trust. And my contractor referrals are not always going to be the cheapest ones. I believe that you have to provide value for people. Um, and absent value price prevails, right? So if I give you the most expensive electrician or the most expensive plumbing outfit and they don't, you don't think there's value there, you're probably not going to hire them. But I hire good people and I I recommend good people. That's, That's just the only way I know how to do business. So let's fast forward even further to everything's done, we're ready to list, and now I present to you what's called the Real Estate Condition Report. Right underneath that form, that heading, that Real Estate Condition Report heading is the word disclaimer. And that's an important word. Remember I said before in the podcast, it is your absolute, unequivocal responsibility to report everything you know about your house. I've sold a few attorney's homes over the years, and I can tell you that I love working with those men and women because when they sell their own house, you better believe that there's an amendment to this real estate condition report. They go into great detail because every yes response on this form, which we'll go through in a second has to be detailed in the subsequent area below that section. All right, so here's what it says. It essentially says that real estate licensees may not provide advice or opinions concerning whether or not an item is a defect for the purposes of the report. What does that mean? That means that I can't tell you as a licensee how you should answer a question. And I'm going to give you some examples of some questions here in a little bit. I can't tell you by law how you should answer that question. I just can't. I can tell you if what you're going to put makes sense. I can give you maybe a little background on what the question may be. But I have to be really careful because of liability reasons. You see, if I help you fill out that form and something goes wrong down the road, there's a good chance that you may turn back to me and say, John told us what to write, and I can't have that. That's a licensee violation. So just know that. Uh, in the form in what's called Section A2, and these are paragraphs, so that's the first section is owner's information, A2 says in this form, defect, which is in quotes, means a condition that would have an, a, a significant adverse ef- effect on the value of the property, that would significantly impair the health or safety of future occupants of the property, or that if not repaired, removed, or replaced would significantly shorten or adversely affect the expected normal life of the premises. Wow, how about that legal definition, right? So let's dissect that just a little bit. For me, the definition of defect has never really been categorized by our courts. So what does that mean? That means that when it's all said and done, I can't tell you what a definition of defect should be for you. What, what is a defect to you might not be a defect to a buyer and vice versa. A buyer may sit back and say, "Why, well, of course, John, that's clearly a defect. The seller should have disclosed that. When the seller might say, that's not a defect. So as you go through the form, and the form was significantly changed a few years ago, you might hear some papers ruffling here in the background or rustling, I should say. Uh, that's because I'm gonna go through some things here. So before we go into the specific forms, who needs to, to, to report this? Who needs to actually fill out one of these? That's a good point, right? It's a good question. Well, if you own the property, you've got to do it. If you own the one to four family, single single family dwelling, you have to do it. And it doesn't matter if you only owned it for a few days or a few years or a few decades. A lot of times when I'll show some of my investors some properties, some investment properties, let's say multifamilies, the owner or the seller will think that they're excluded from completing the real estate condition report and they'll just say buyer or seller has never lived on the property and they think they're okay there. By law, they're not. However, I do know that the failure to disclose things if needed down the road could potentially help my buyer. So I may or may not press that issue of getting a signed real estate condition report. Mm -hmm. But let's face it, if the listing agent isn't telling their seller to complete a real estate condition report and that it's mandated by law, I'm probably not going to get it. Let's be honest. All right, so let's look at this. And this applies to everything. It applies to condominiums, it applies to land, commercial properties, and of course, single family homes. So I'm going to flip to page number two, and that's where you as the seller have to start talking about some of these things. Section B in the real estate condition report, uh, and again this is the six page report, Question number one, are you aware of defects in the roof? Now, it says roof defects may include items such as leakage or significant problems with gutters or eaves. So let me paint you a scenario. If every fall, because you don't have a cover on your gutters, your gutters get clogged with, with, um, with leaves, and then it freezes because it's trapping water, right? And sometimes maybe the gutter pulls away and you had to put it back. Is that considered a defect? Well, again, I can't answer that question because I don't have the defect definition other than what I read to you as it applies to gutters. But my, my advice to any seller is that you must disclose. If there are problems with your house, especially recurring problems, if you have a property where you need to have your roots kind of uh, rotor rooted out, and I'm not you know, using that particular company as an, as an endorsement, I don't know how else to say it, right? So if you have, you have to a root some, some roots out of a water lateral, a sewer lateral, that's a defect. And you need to probably disclose that. On occasion, and, you, and again, you make it general, but you don't have to be really specific in most cases. The more specific you are, though, about detailed problems, the buyer, uh, I would say that the buyer will feel more comfortable making an informed decision. Again, a real estate transaction between a seller and a buyer is based on trust. And it and it's really the premises of every transaction. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen. In a previous podcast, I, I suggested that you don't go to a closing if you're a seller. And if you haven't listened to that one, when this one's done, go back and listen to that one. I, I just don't think that a seller should go to a closing. You know, and I, in that podcast, we talked a little bit about how it's nice to see the family that you're transferring things to and all the love that, you know, and, and, the, and the kids that you raised and all the memories, right? That, that's hard. That's emotional walking away from that house. It is nice to know that you're giving that home to another potential family who's going to love that home. But, but it's my job to protect you. And it's my job to tell you, guys, don't go to closing. Because just before you leave, when that buyer looks at you as the seller and says, hey, John, uh, tell me more about that stain in the basement that's in that corner, When when did that first start? How long have you noticed that? And it just opens up this big can of worms that you don't want to do. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, it's a good one. So back to the roof. Uh, Obvious leaks, obvious damage, you know, those are things that you have to report, right? It'll ask you questions about the electrical system. One of them is, do you have knob and tube wiring? Do you have 60-amp service in your home? Or aluminum branch circuit wiring? very indicative of older homes so about maybe five six years ago insurance companies had to mitigate their losses and not really from here because if you think about it when you go with a national company you are also in my opinion and an insurance company may disagree with this but this is my opinion if you go with a national company that has had to insure people through floods through um, you know earthquakes, tornadoes in Tornado Alley. Essentially, you're funding some of those people. Maybe not to a large degree, but, but you are, in my opinion. Uh, I, I insure with Wisconsin companies. I, I just like to, to spend local as much as I can. Uh, but obviously, the coverage and the value has to be there, right? Uh, but, you know, if you have 60-amp service, you can almost bet that your buyer is probably not going to be able to get insurance. The the inspector is going to note that if it's a round collar on the outside meter head, as we call it, on your home, there's a very good chance that that is a 60-amp metered surface or or, um, metered supply, I should say. And if that's the case, the buyer's insurance company is not going to insure that. Again, these are all things that we point out as potential risks. Now, you as a buyer, you may say, well, John, I don't know. I mean, I'm not an electrician. And that's, that's right. Remember, all you have to do is disclose what you know. So if you don't know that that's a 60-amp meter head and that you have a 60-amp supply to your house, then you're okay. I'm just telling you that if that round collar is there and your mast, which goes up, let's say, well, not goes up, but it comes down because your overhead supply, your power lines come into this big, long mast, if that's real thin, that's probably also an indication that your wiring coming into the house is not 100-amp. And then you basically say, well, John, I don't understand. I go down to my electrical box, and it says the main breaker is 100 amp. And you're right. They don't make 60 amp boxes anymore, electrical panel boxes. So it's going to say 100, right? That's just your main breaker. One of the other common questions that we get is when we look at flooring in a basement. Let's say in an older home that was built in the 50s or 60s. You know, our, stand, our standard Milwaukee bungalow is classic for things like this many many decades ago they installed nine inch by nine inch tiles on your floor now again when you're working with me or my team we point out things that potentially could be problematic and that might be considered or is asbestos flooring undisturbed not a big deal but you may sit back and say well how am i going to be able to guarantee john that my two-year-old now when she becomes five or six or one of the friends comes over and they start picking at one of these corners that somehow came up, how am I going to guarantee that they're safe? That's a good point. That's something to think about, right? Until something is tested, though, in a laboratory and confirmed, you don't know about it. So some of you might be listening to this podcast thinking, oh, geez, I, I know what, John, I know what you're talking about. I, I got that floor in my house right now. Well, there is a lab in the Metro Milwaukee area that I know of that you could bring a sample to, and more than likely they're going to confirm that it is asbestos. Uh, another one that we hear about in older homes is vermiculite insulation in the attic. Vermiculite looks a little like kitty litter. By home inspector stand, standards, that is considered to be asbestos. Now, again, until until it is actually tested by a lab, there's no guarantee that that is asbestos. But an inspector will tell you when a buyer hires an inspector, they will say, hey, look, if you've got knob and tube wiring, um, that that could potentially cause a fire. If you've got a 60-amp head, that could potentially cause you some problems with insurance. If I see vermiculite in the attic, that contains asbestos as far as I'm trained, and you should have that professionally mitigated, okay? Um Anyway, back to the disclosure. You, you see, this gets interesting, right? I mean, this is some interesting stuff. Uh, B6, are you aware of, smoke or of, de- of defects related to the smoke detectors or carbon monoxide detectors or a violation of applicable state or local smoke detector laws or CO detector laws? The law is very clear. You have to, no matter the age of the home, you have to have a working smoke and CO detector on every level of the home. Um, and it could be every living level. I'm not sure. But why wouldn't you want to put one on every living level of your house? I mean, these these detectors mean life and death. And we never know. You know, I, I always just tell people, when you prepare your day and you get into your car, you don't know that in 20 minutes someone's going to run a red light and hit you. Right? That's why we always wear our seatbelts. That's why we always properly secure our children in a properly you know, equipped and a properly approved, NHTSA approved, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration approved car seat. It's why we follow the laws because they are designed to give us our best chance when something happens, right? So why would you not have a CO or a smoke detector? If you don't have one of those on every living level, please make a promise to protect yourself and your family. Go get one today. Don't wait for the fire department to come to your house and have to put out a fire that could have been detected. You know what? Let's be honest. If a fire happens in your house, and I was at a few of these, not only in law enforcement, but, of course, as my firefighter days, it, it, it's tough. It's tough, right? The most important thing is to make sure that everybody's safe. All right, so you go through the structural and mechanical part of this form, and anything that you had put on this form, even including the the – the acknowledgement, the disclosure of rental items such as water softeners, water conditioning systems like an iron filter. Yes, those are rented. Somebody might say, well, what, rented? Why would we rent those? Well, we have a lot of communities in southeastern Wisconsin and maybe in your community, wherever you live, where our water is just hard. Iron, a high iron content in the water is different. Having a hard water system or having hard water, I should say, in your system will cause havoc over time for sure. So we add salt, but those systems sometimes are expensive. And then the alternate is, like I know in Waukesha is a great example, you, you can't have, if I see a home that doesn't have a water softening system in it, I know that the sellers are not taking care of their stuff. I, I just know that. Because in very rare circumstances, uh, those, are, those are needed in communities with hard water. So a lot of people say, well, okay, it's going to cost me maybe, you know, $18, $19 a month. I never have to worry about it. And if the thing isn't working right in a couple of years, I just call the company. Um, and, of course, they make it very convenient for you to, um, to bring in, you know, their equipment. They make it very easy to bring in salt. You know, they, they can set you up on those systems. But anyway, my point is at the end of every one of these sections, you have an obligation to explain any of your yes responses. Now, one of the ones that will be on a real estate condition report is the disclosure that you have restrictions in your subdivision or your condominium complex. So raise your hand if you're listening to this, and I won't know you raise your hand, but but I trust you'll do it. Raise your hand if you live in an association of some kind. It can be homeowners. It can be a condo association. In other words, you're paying dues. There's restrictions on what you can do. Of course, as a seller, you have to disclose those items, right? All right, so I'm going to transition to um, the lead-based paint disclosure. Now, this one is a federal form that we've, of course, we have to include in every transaction for the most part. Uh, if the property was built be- before 1978, which is really our, kind of our deadline, they stopped manufacturing lead-based paint around that time. So the federal government said that if the property was uh, built prior to there, there's a good chance that lead-based paint exists. So when you buy a new home, you have to make a decision on whether or not you want to test for lead-based paint. When you sell a home, you have to complete a form that asks you two questions. And it says that every purchaser of any interest in residential real estate property, if you will, on which a residential dwelling was built prior to 1978, is notified that such property may present exposure to lead and lead-based paint. So there are certain loan types that when I go and look at homes I have to make the homeowners aware of. If I'm selling a home in Milwaukee, home was built in the 50s or 60s. If I see peeling paint, even on the backside of the garage that no one wants to look at in the detached garage, we have to talk about how if the seller accepts an offer from a buyer with a VA loan Veterans Administration Loan, or an FHA loan, which allows the buyer to only put down 3.5%. Great programs, by the way. Zero percent down for veterans and military. But if that person, if that seller accepts an offer from someone with a VA or an FHA loan, you have to expect that a VA appraiser, who's also an inspector, looks for about 21 different things, including peeling paint and cracked windows, they're going to call those items out. And the buyer will not be able to get that loan if, in fact, those items are identified. Those have to be corrected, and not necessarily at the expense of the buyer. A new one as part of some of those loans is termite inspections, pest inspections. That's another podcast. On the offer addendum S, which is the lead-based paint disclosure, the seller has to answer two questions says, the seller hereby represents that the seller has no knowledge of any lead-based paint or lead-based paint hazards present in or on the property. And then the second question is, do you have any paperwork related to the knowledge of lead-based paint hazards? I had a seller who was selling a a two-family near the Milwaukee airport, Mitchell Mitchell International, and uh, the tenant at the time called the city. The city came in on their own, unbeknownst to the seller. Because the buyer, or not the buyer, the uh, tenant said, I think I, have, I think I have lead-based paint in my house. So rather than follow the protocol, the city came in, and they tested, and it tested positive for lead-based paint and notified the seller that he's in violation. Now, the seller is in the middle of a transaction. So this got really kind of hairy, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, so when he called me, he said, I've got a little bit of a problem, John we now have to disclose, right? One of the questions that people ask me is radon. Now, don't confuse radon and radium. Those are two totally different things, right? Radium is in the water supply in some communities. Uh, Waukesha being the most known in this area that's dealing with that issue right now. They're purchasing Milwaukee water, um, which will take a few years yet. But Radium and radon are different. radon gas is essentially created from the decomposition of uranium under the earth 's surface. It is said to be the second leading cause of lung cancer in america now i 'm not going to say it 's right wrong or indifferent i 'm going to leave that to other people. I just know that if you came to me and said john i 'm thinking about putting my house on the market, should I test for radon i 'm going to tell you no <laughs> because your buyer's probably gonna test it anyway. And usually in a lot of these communities, it's about 50-50. The threshold, if you will, for action, the action level from the uh, from the Environmental Protection Agency is 4.0 picocuries per liter. And look, I couldn't tell you what that means. That I just know that if I'm, if I'm representing a buyer and there's no radon mitigation system in that house, I'm going to tell, them, I'm going to tell my buyer to do it. you got to test for it. Because what happens is, and sellers won't like hearing this, but if it comes back high and my inspectors or third-party companies come in with their radon mitigation testing equipment, which is plugged into the wall, we get an electronic reading every hour, it gives you the average. If it comes in high, it essentially forces the seller to install a system Or at least at the minimum, now disclose that they have a defect in their property. When an inspector comes in and does a property inspection for a buyer, let's say you're selling your home, you have an accepted offer, woo, congrats. Now they do the home inspection. The inspector comes in and gives you all these things that you didn't know about. Do you have to update your disclosure? That's a very, very interesting topic. The answer is could be. The answer is might be. The answer might be confer with your attorney, because I can't tell you that. If the inspector identifies that you have high radon that was measured by electronic equipment, I think you have to do one of two things. I think you have to agree to mitigate and install that system, which typically runs about 800 to about $1,200. Or I think you have to go uh, and, and update your condition report. You amend your real estate condition report, which is what you do. Remember it's about protecting you. If I come in and I see a significant defect, if I see significant cracking in a foundation wall, and it doesn't have to be just block, it can be a port foundation, although that's that's rare, but if I go in and I see that and you don't disclose it, I have an obligation as a licensee to disclose those defects. So that's when you and I have a conversation about protecting you, but also protecting me. And once in a while, I get to the point where a seller says, John, I don't think it's a defect. And I'm going to be pretty PO'd if you disclose that. And it's usually at about that point where I realize this is not a seller I can work with. Everything has to be on the up and up. Everything has to be disclosed. That's just how the law is. If you don't do it, I have to. And it's really black and white. I think we live in a world of gray. When I was in law enforcement and I was teaching at the police academies, I used to put, you know, up on the the board behind me, I would put two little areas kind of a distance apart on a timeline. And I'd say this is black and this is white over here and see all this big stuff in the middle, that's all gray, that's where we operate. Not every law can be black and white. Um, It's pretty black and white when it comes to some defects that we find in a home. The vacant land disclosure does the same thing. It tells the buyer what, what someone needs to know about that property right? If you are subjected, if that property is subject to certain conditions or assessments, or you know of things that are happening, or you know that there's underground tanks, let's say, that's buried. Let's say you have a, an old gas station that you want to sell. I've done some commercial deals where uh, we've had to go into what we call a phase one, phase two, or sometimes even a phase three, which means on a commercial side of things, my buyer has to pay more money to have things further investigated before the lender says, yep, we're going to give you the money. So if you have a joint well that serves the property, in other words, you have four people, let's say, and I had one of these in the town of Delafield outside of Waukesha, in Waukesha County, uh, where the well test came back bad. We, there were contaminants in that, in that well water supply. Uh, they didn't have any idea until the well water was tested. Because right? most people don't test their well, their joint well, every year. You should. In a subsequent podcast, we're going to talk about water and water quality. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, when it's all said and done, no matter what you're selling, whether it's vacant land, whether it's a commercial building, or more popular, of course, residential property, right? You have an obligation to disclose. So my advice to you is this. over disclose. Tell the buyer, the potential buyer, more than you should. And if you think that that might have an adverse or a negative effect, I can promise you folks that it won't. In fact, it's going to give the buyer more comfort. You know, if I'm, if I'm a buyer and I'm going to buy your house and I see a six-page real estate condition report and there's a you know, bunch of stuff checked, yes. And then you've explained all of this in a two- or three-page addendum I'm gonna feel really comfortable. I'm gonna think that, boy, this person really wants me to know everything that is good, bad, or indifferent about the property. Now, conversely, if I look at that condition report and I see nothing but no's, I'm gonna be suspicious and I'm gonna look even harder because no one lives in a perfect home. No one drives a perfect car, no one has a perfect job, no one has a perfect relationship. It, there's no such thing. Even new homes. I bought a new home. I didn't build it, but I bought a new home. I had it inspected while I was still under my builder's warranty. And um, we'll talk to some builders in some subsequent you know, podcasts, too. But you just have to protect yourself. If, if I'm the buyer, I want to know. If you're the seller, you should tell me. My hope is that this longer podcast has given some really awesome things to think about and has convinced you that you do not want to be sitting in front of a judge or a six-person jury in a civil trial having to explain why you didn't disclose. Milwaukee is not a big area. Your community may be even smaller. I can tell you, I can give you example after example after example of my buyers who have bought properties had to hire an attorney to go after the seller simply because they decided not to disclose something they had full knowledge of because they thought they could get away with it. Good example, I had a client from out of state, buy a house in Bayside. Unfortunately, the seller didn't disclose. And what ended up happening was they called me and said, we have water in the basement, we have this, we have seepage. Holy cow, that's not good. We got an attorney involved, and we later found out that a very, very reputable uh, foundation basement company here in the metro Milwaukee area, had been in that property a year or two before. I don't remember all the details. It was about a year or two before. And the guy walks in when my buyers called him and said, wait a minute, I've been in this house. I remember this. And sure enough, they were there a couple of years ago. So you, how, how do you defend that if you're the seller? When in doubt, always, always consult with your legal advisor. Because he or she is the person that will tell you what you should do. But I can guarantee you that an attorney is going to tell you, over disclose. This session of Wisconsin Real Estate Today has come to a close. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and let others know if you found this content useful. Until next time, make today your best day.